Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, this is a this is a big day for us, Kieran. It's the it's the launch day for our book, Unfit and Improper Persons, An Idiot's Guide to Owning a Football Club is out today, although rather bizarrely it seems to have been on sale in two shops in Manchester for about a month, and it's not out in America till the first of December. But technically <laughs> Today is, is is the big launch day, so I, I don't know how those bookshops in Manchester. I've, I've got a feeling the producer guy may have got hold of some snide copies and be offloading them up there. I don't know, but but it's today, Kieran. It's um, it's quite exciting and it's quite nerve wracking. Now we can all we can do now is sit back and wait the the court of public opinion, as they say, Kieran. I know. I'm I'm half half tempted to pop into the local Waterstones with a sharpie and give a few you know free signings. <laughs> We've got to leave some of them unsigned, Kieran. I, I, do you know what I'm like? I, I, older older listeners will get this reference, but there's an advert for Yellow Pages. Uh, I'll have to explain what Yellow Pages now. Yellow Pages was a, a telephone directory. Now I'll have to explain what a telephone directory was. A telephone <laughs> directory was a, a big book that had everybody's phone numbers. Everybody had their phone number in this big book, and Yellow Pages was for businesses. And one of the adverts was a chap phoning up loads of bookshops saying, do you have a copy of Fly Fishing? by J.R. Hartley, and eventually one of them says, oh, you do, and he says, my name is J.R. Hartley. So I, I feel a little bit like J.R. Hartley, that I should be I should be wandering around the Croydon Waterstones and just picking the book up again. Oh, yeah, it's very interesting. Do you know Do you know anything about this chap, Kevin Day? Is he a local chap by any chance? Um, yes, all of, thank you. So many people have already pre-ordered it, um, which is very exciting, but... It is a little bit nerve wracking waiting for the waiting for the feedback. But um, <laughs> while we're doing that, Kieran, let's let's get on with um, well. Let, in fact, let's stop pretending that we're actually recording this now in the Thursday morning when we're, it's Wednesday night, quite late, because both of us are working. I've been working uh, writing. Have I got news for you? And God knows what you've been doing, Kieran, because you just you're just knackering yourself. Yes, it has been. Um, it's been an interesting two or three days. Uh, I'm having to live in Manchester because the Labour Party conference is taking place in Liverpool and you cannot find a hotel, even even the scummiest of hotels. And by that, of course, I'm talking about (laughs) Liverpool and Delphi. Even they're charging 300 300 sheets a night. And I'm going, I cannot believe I can buy the place for that. Um, (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm having to get up at five o'clock and and then uh, it it took me seven hours to get from Brighton to Liverpool on uh, on Monday morning. So I'm slightly the worse for wear. Oh, I bet you are. Well, see, now you know how it feels. Kieran, if you just had a couple of bottles of wine at night, you'd, you could feel slightly the worse for wear without travelling seven hours to get there. <laughs> um, it's Newsday, Kieran. We've got a few, well, we've got quite a lot of stories and they're all interesting. Uh, none of them are Scunthorpe, Reading and South End, though, which is, which is fantastic. Really, really good news. Um, the first story, Kieran, about the 2028 European Championship is... It, it, it's, it's just one that we're, it's a confirmation job, basically, Kieran. We knew this was going to happen and it's happened. Yes, it, it has happened. But what I find intriguing is that alongside the announcement that the competition is, and you have to say, coming home, um, that the the, uh, the consultants Deloitte are, cha- are, are claiming that it will deliver a £2.6 billion boost to the UK economy. And I've got to say, that's utter hogwash. You you look at, um, and this this is sort of text, this is textbook um, management consultancy work. They, they overstate the benefits. They forget some of the significant costs. Um, will, will there be a few more tourists coming? Yeah, just, but then what, what they're ignoring the fact is that there will be people equally saying, a potential tourist saying, well, I was thinking of going to the UK this year, but they got this football tournament taking place, so we'll go to France or we'll go to Belgium or we'll go to Italy instead. Okay. Right. So they they ignore that. They ignore the – there will be very significant security costs to be incurred 
uh, because it will be a high profile tournament and people clearly will need protection. So, so that will be ignored. Um, and for every extra pound where, where the consultants said, yeah, well, we're expecting a, a boom in the sale of televisions and it'll be fantastic for barbecues and it'll be fantastic for the hospitality trade. Well, that means yeah, for every, every person that's going to be watching the football on telly, that's one person that's not going to theatre, that's one person that's not going to the cinema, that's one person that's not going to, 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 a, to a restaurant that, that night. And of course, all of those costs are cheerfully ignored. But you know, is the tournament coming here? Absolutely fantastic. Would it be trying to go to as many matches as possible? Absolutely. But let's not pretend that it's an economic benefit to the country. Yeah, and as we hinted in the last pod, Kieran, it seems that UEFA have gone for uh, uh, two safe pairs of hands, basically. They've gone for established footballing countries with an infrastructure because they are trying to refill the coffers after the losses of COVID. Yes, I mean, they took an absolute hammering in 2020 and 2021. And I think a lot of people might have thought, well, given the behaviour of English football fans at the final of the competition in 2021, UEFA might be giving Wembley a wide berth because I, I don't think that, that Wembley's managed to prove itself to be fantastically well organised. Although you know, I've, I've been to a few Wembley events and I've, I've always found the, uh, the, the security there and, and the, the, the people there have been absolutely fantastic. But uh, you know, what, what happened that particular day was ridiculously shameful. I know we're all coming out of a COVID-related uh, issue, but... Uh, we didn't cover ourselves in glory in terms of the behaviour and misbehaviour. And also the fact that there wasn't anybody there to protect the security guards or um, and so on. You know, and uh, comes back to, uh, you know, we, we've had Mark Roberts on the show and, and I respect you know, what Mark, Mark, Mark said. Um, yeah, the Metropolitan Police Force are a law unto themselves. Mm. Yeah, a, a couple of smaller points. I mean, the FA have said that this will be the most affordable uh, European Championship yet in terms of ticket prices, so we'll have to wait and see on that one as to what they mean by affordable. Or what, you know, is it like the affordable housing in the new you know, Battersea Power Station development? Their, their idea of affordable is different to our idea of affordable. And interesting as well, Kieran, a, a Liverpool supporting friend of mine today, he's a producer at a television company I've been working at, says that Anfield, the pitch is too small apparently at Anfield, for European uh, tournaments. Um, but quite interesting, but they've chosen to, as a venue, a stadium that's quite some way from completion yeah, at Everton. Yes, they have. Uh, and uh, th- this is an issue. Uh, yeah, the, the owners at uh, Liverpool FSG have, have tried to maximise the number of seats with with some of the changes to the stadium. So it, it is below the, 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 the minimal size that uh, UEFA will accept. Um, so... That means that Bramley Moor Dock is going to be used, but equally, um, the Etihad is being chosen rather than Old Trafford. But you know, but we've we've said as as fans who have attended matches at Old Trafford, it, it's not really fit for purpose. And I I take issue with the FA and this most you know, the highest number of affordable tickets. It's a twenty four team tournament, so there's more tickets around. So yeah, so therefore there's more matches. So again, very very loose yeah. use. Of language, if there's more tickets available at, at let's say fifty pounds, which again not necessarily affordable um, for many, um, that doesn't mean that uh, it's it's a, a a tournament which is geared towards the the pockets of, of hard pressed football fans. Yeah, I mean, some good news, Kieran, for Scottish football in that tournament games will be held there, but it's otherwise been a week of very bad news for Scottish football. Yes, um, the SPFL um, signed a deal with Cinch, the the uh, car dealership, uh, sort of online car dealership, and Cinch have now taken up an option which was in their contract. I think it was a four year deal, um, but they have an option to to withdraw from the contract two years two years early. Um, I, I think you know we, we have to be honest that, that there was. Uh, a disappointment from Cinch's point of view that that Rangers were reluctant to engage fully with the terms of the contract. Rangers said that they they had a conflict of interest because one of their directors owns a car company, yeah. and therefore they didn't feel. Uh, so perhaps Cinch don't feel that they've they've necessarily got their their full 
their full return on the investment. So um, it, it, that that is a negative. At the same time, you know, I'm sure our friend Neil will say it's an opportunity to get a new sponsor in with potentially paying more money than than Cinch would have paid for the for the final two years of the contract. So um, it, it creates a bit of uncertainty. Um, uh, for, you know, Scot- Scottish football is is doing well in certain areas and, and not so well in others. Um, and, and it's a hard market in, in which to get sponsorship. But so uh, it, it's going to be a tough period of time for uh, uh, for, the, for the SPFL. But if they can get somebody in, then then you can fill that gap. Uh, of course, listeners know, Kieran, that we operate a, a veritable army now of, of secret agents. And of course, our secret lawyer would, would say, our secret lawyer would say it depends on the contract. But is your instinct such that Cinch will have had to buy their way out of the sponsorship deal two years early? Or do you think they've waited until the contract says with two years out, they can simply pull out? No, it would have been something like a two plus two deal where you get a get, they, they, they commit themselves for a guarantee two years. And then there was an opportunity to it to continue for another period of time. And they've effectively decided they're not going to take up that particular option. So I, I don't think that there will be large sums of money uh, passing hands from Cinch to the SPFL as a result of this decision. Now, Kieran, regular listeners will know that I, I try and inject a bit of enthusiasm and excitement into the way I, I get you to answer these questions. I, I try and phrase them so that you get to tell us what the actual story is. And I try and I try and make it sound like I'm really fascinated by what's coming up. I'm struggling with this one, Kieran, to be perfectly honest. Um, uh, I'm, I'm just going to quote what's put in front of me. I will, I'll try. I'll, I'll, I'll put the. Come on. I'll, I'll put my book. I'll put my book launch voice on. Uh, you know. The FA is introducing what it what it calls one of the most extensive sets of governance reforms to the FA Council in its 160 year history. Extensive, Kieran reforms. FA Council make that interesting. Well, I've always found that when I've been on a first date with somebody, and and you know sometimes. <laughs> and there's a bit of a lull in the conversation I've always got you know you know Richard Herring far better than I do but Richard Herring always talks about his emergency questions well one of my emergency questions and subjects is the makeup of the FA Council Um, and this is going (laughs) (laughs) absolutely Um, when if amortization fails the FA Council is my backup and what the FA has, has said is that we're looking for more independent people and uh, involved rather than for, for want of a better phrase the FA Council is made up of the Blazers and the Blazers tend to be men of a certain age of a certain background and the FA has acknowledged that, A, that can be quite uh, an intimidatory atmosphere, um, and, and B, that they, they want the people who are making decisions with regards to, A, you know, the England team, the England women's team, and so on, but also to grassroots football. They want the makeup of the people making those decisions to be more representative of those who play football, those who love the game in the country, and so on. So they will be sort of effectively uh, using positive steps to to increase the number of women, the number of people from different ethnic backgrounds, and so on. So it's I think it's, it's a laudable thing. Um, I read the press release, and I was going... Well, what is this? And when you sort of read the detail, it was a, it was a bit of a damp squib, if truth be told. A bit, a bit of a damp squib. A bit like some of my tales of amortisation on a second date. <laughs> I, I suppose to be fair to the FA, Kieran, you know, if, if they are trying to drag themselves into the 20th century, it feels a bit churlish to point out that we're nearly a quarter of the way through the 21st century. So baby steps, Kieran, baby <laughs> steps. Um, and now our, our next two stories, Kieran, uh, feature numbers as is quite often the case on yes, the Price of Football But these are numbers, um, these are companies that are called us. And I, I find this one very odd. Um, I, I don't know why. It's just watching Match of the Day the other day. You, you suddenly, suddenly occurred to me that the Wolves had the, the number 6686 
on their sleeves. For some and and when you're halfway through the second bottle of wine on a on a Sunday night, and it just start rumours. Is, is that something to do with the number of the beast? I don't know. I I, I still don't know exactly who six six eight six are, but they're in a bit of bother, Kieran. Yeah, I think six six eight six are the neighbour of the beast. Um, okay, got you. Yeah, thank you. I thank you. Yes, Olden but golden that one. Um, <laughs> uh, but they are a, a they are a betting company. Um, they are based in Hong Kong, so where betting is sort of a, sort of legal, it's it's illegal in China. Um, but if you um, if you have on your computer um, a VPN a virtual private network, then you can convince your computer that you are not necessarily based in the UK. And there's been a report which has come out from the uh, investigative reporting website, uh, Josimar, which which produces some absolutely cracking stuff. And they've said is that if you convince your computer that it's it's in Hong Kong, or if you convince the world of, um, and you go on to 6686 website, you can gain access to football matches effectively being streamed. Now, I've not put this into practice, I'm, I'm, and I'm not encouraging anybody to put this into practice, um, but there's there's the opportunity to, to get live matches from all across Europe. That may or may not include the Premier League, and I'm, I'm certainly not endorsing or encouraging anything like that um but it does make it very awkward if that's the case and, and the claims by by Josimar is that 6686 are sort of cheerfully ignoring the the rules that you know people normally pay for the rights to uh, obtain international football um for broadcast purposes and you know they might be doing it for gambling purposes which is slightly different but nobody's going to know that. So if it's attracting attention and traffic to their website, um, you know, whilst they're there, then potentially they, they could also put on a wager, um, all, all of which, um, and, and you know, we're not in a position to corroborate these claims because we've not checked it ourselves, um, doesn't doesn't look too good for Wolves. Uh, 6686 are the official betting partner of, 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 of well, of Wolves, of Wolfsburg. Um, and Lazio and AS Monaco. So it clearly is a, a betting company that um, does have connections with European football. Uh, and, and if these allegations are true, um, either somebody's going to have to go and take down their dodgy feed um, uh, or somebody's going to get sacked at 6686 for uh, for allowing this type of thing to take place. I, I like the idea, Kieran, that they're, they're sleeve sponsoring Wolverhampton Wanderers and Wolfsburg. That saves a bit of money, yeah, branding uh, yeah. wise, isn't it? Just get a generic, general right for. I'm intrigued, Kieran. I, I can't convince my computer to save documents, let alone that I'm in a, a completely different country. <laughs> but we, we've seen recently that the punishment that individuals are having for illegally downloading uh, streams. Surely, would there not be some sort of sanction against six six eight six if this turns out to be the case that what they're doing will, will get them into serious trouble? Will it not? Well, it, it would give them get them into trouble if you're being prosecuted in the UK. Now, whether oh, okay. the enthusiasm, the breach of copyright theft, is as passionate in in the Hong Kong market it is something which we we don't know, and we'll have to find out in due course. So, um, it, it looks as if uh, if. There, there are some countries where different rules and different cultures apply, and therefore, what is unacceptable in country A is given a more of a relaxed approach in, com- in country B. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. 
so, Kieran, if um, six six eight six are the neighbour of the beast, as you so wittily put it, uh, there are some people that would say seven 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 are the more evil big brother of the beast. Um, and there's some issues for them across the pond, as our American listeners would say. Yes. Um, this is a report in the New York Times. And again, an investigative reporter, Tarek Panja. Um, I, I, I know Tarek. I've, I've met him at, at events. And uh, uh, you know, he's, he's, he's a bit like Matt Slater and uh, you know, some of the other guys that we know who, who never back down. Yeah, when they, when they get a sniff of a story and uh, get get uh, get significantly stuck in, so he he's done some checking and yeah, seven seven seven. They now own I think eight clubs around the world, and he sort of said, well, if you take a look at every single one of the clubs that seven 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 have got involved with, they've all been in a sense of financial distress, um, which as somebody that used to work in insolvency normally means you can buy things at bargain prices, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can turn them round. And he, he's looked at the, the background of, of Josh Wanda um, and, and his partner, and he's saying, yeah, where are they getting their money from? How are they going to fund... Uh, how, how are they going to fund the acquisition of Everton, which is going to cost, you know, cost a few more hundred million just to complete the stadium? And then he's found out, and he's claimed in this New York Times article that uh, they've not paid their credit card bill. Now, if you can't afford a couple of hundred grand for you know, owing money to Amex, then how are you going to find four or five hundred million pounds to complete the development and to pay for acquiring the, the new club and also the operational losses of Everton? So I think there is a degree of nervousness amongst a significant number of the Everton fans. Now, Josh Wander has put out a, a very charming uh, a, a very charming uh, email to uh, Everton fan groups. Uh, and sometimes you get the impression somebody's trying a bit too hard you know, when he's say, talking about loving the, the, the theme tune to Zed Cars and you know, making references to Dixie Dean and, and so on. You go, I, I think he's either been looking at Wikipedia or somebody's <laughs> been sort of researching this for him. Um, and, and it just sort of lacks uh, a bit of credibility. And then you, you're trying to work out, well, yeah, where have they made their money from? And I think we've discussed this before. Um, you know, this is this is the structured settlements part of, of their empire, which means that they give payouts to people who have been uh, subject to medical negligence and are desperate for cash. And they say, what we'll do is we will give you, uh, we'll pay you half a million dollars instead of you getting a quarter of a million dollars for the next three or four years. So they're finding the cash up front and then they're effectively cashing in on the money which was due to come from the med- from the medical companies to individual patients because people are desperate for money because they're in, you know, they're in pain. The American medical system, as we know, um, and uh, is is chaotic. Uh, you know, uh, well, yeah, we're not a part of political show. I think it's fair to say the NHS at present is an absolute shambles, but that's a separate issue for a separate podcast. Um, and yeah. therefore, there's I think there's a lack of conviction in this article. Also, the work that's been done by some other Everton fans who have looked into the background of seven seven seven. Lots, lots of red flags. They. they 777 have failed to pay, by all accounts, British basketball. That was only a million pounds. If this money due to the credit card company, a couple of hundred grand, I appreciate that's a good month of spending. I mean, nobody's denying that, but you would expect a, you know, an organisation to be able to fund that. And there are various other things which I suspect will come to light over the course of the next few days um, as uh, this type of reporting is, is likely to, to be repeated. So it does make you feel uneasy from Everton's point of view. The FA are obviously confident, though, that the stadium will be will be built and built on time because they've announced it as a venue for the Euros, as we've spoken. You've, you've really got to be careful as a new owner, Kieran, haven't you, of using Wikipedia as your go-to thing? Because, you know, obviously, before it was the theme from Zed Cars, it was a, it was a well-known folk song. 
And people get suspicious when you, you know, if you're in a meeting with these Americans, they suddenly start going, what about that Joe Royal, eh? Well, hell of a guy. Hell of a guy, that Joe Royal. <laughs> what about that? What about that? Uh, what about that Fergus Duncanson guy? I mean, that big guy up front, Fergus Duncanson. Well, he was he was great. That Lineker chap, that goalkeeper, Gary Lineker. Great, great, great players. Um, I said we weren't going to mention Reading, uh, Kieran, and I was, I was wrong. I was lulling them into a full sense of security. But this... I, I I think this might be good news, Kieran, for Reading fans. Is it? It's it's better than bad news. It, it's on the balance. <laughs> it, it's it's positive. <laughs> That's what, what a brilliant way of putting it. <laughs> it's, it's it's not not good news as such, but it's better than bad news. That's, yeah, that's a cheery, optimistic way of describing it. Here we go. Um. Reading fans are concerned about many things to do with uh, Dai Yong, the uh, the owner, uh, and, and and rightly so, as there's been so many broken promises. Now, one of the things that he did a few years ago was that he sold the stadium effectively to himself. So he got the football club to sell the stadium to another one of his companies. So, of course, the fans fear that even if the club is sold, then potentially the uh, stadium might not be sold as part of the deal. And I think that's 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 rumbling on. And another one of our, our clubs, which we weren't going to mention, the Scunthorpe, from from the latest sources I had uh, in in the last few hours, which which, uh, which is frust- frustrating. But hopefully that will that will resolve itself if if uh, Peter Swan uh, has, a, has a sense of sanity uh, come over him. Um, so. What what has happened is that Reading fans and and the local council have designated the stadium as being an ACV, an asset of community value. Now, this doesn't prevent the owner from selling the club, but it makes it more difficult. And if he is planning to sell the stadium, he's got to give notice to the council and he effectively has to give six months notice, which in theory could allow the fan group to put together some form of consortium to to put in a rival bid. So it gives an extra layer of protection um, from the the announcement, oh, I've just sold the, sold the stadium to one of my mates uh, or something like that. Um, which which is a positive, so yeah, perhaps I was being overly cautious earlier, but it's not a guarantee that the stadium um, cannot go to to somebody who we wouldn't necessarily have a lot of faith in. Uh, I, mean, I think you know, the positives are that there isn't planning permission to do anything else, and I think when the land was acquired, it was acquired with, with a covenant which said it can only be used for sporting purposes. So you know, I think the fear of... the the stadium being knocked down and converted into industrial buildings or residential or a car park, I don't think that will manifest itself. But um, it's it's not a perfect solution, but it's better than nothing. Yeah, Fulham fans, Kieran, are not normally known for their bolshiness. You know, you've, you very rarely see Richard Osmond leading hundreds of uh, Fulham fans to the barricades, partly because Richard Osmond is quite tall. You can see over the barricades anyway, so you don't need them. Um, but there's um, they've got some bolshiness planned for the weekend, Kieran. Yes, um, the supporters' trust have got completely fed up with the ever northwards transit of ticket prices. So I think with with Manchester United coming, I think prices are up to about like 140 quid for you know, for the best seats and so on. Um, and they what they're saying, and, and you can understand this, is the owner has completely detached himself from having a Fulham fan base and is seeking a tourist fan base because, you know, as as John Lydon once famously said, for tourists are money. And uh, therefore, you know, the Fulham fans feel let down, um, you know, an opportunity. And, and, you know, okay, it's Manchester United are coming to town and Manchester United is always uh, going to be category A if you've got a tiered system. But the prices which are being charged are really only going to be paid by tourists. Um, that's going to have a negative impact in terms of creating an atmosphere. And we've always said, you know, even if the fans make a, you know, a 0.1% difference to creating a hostile environment, that 0.1% could be the difference between 
a goal being scored or a goal not being conceded. And that, at the end of the season, could be absolutely precious as far as the club is concerned. Um, and I think you and I have, have both been to matches where um, you're surrounded by people whose, whose main aim appears to be taking photographs of themselves and smiling a lot and not necessarily going for the misery that we go for as, as regular football fans. It's interesting, Kieran, because we, we talk in the book about different types of club owner. And the owner of Fulham, uh, we basically, on his side, he comes across as a decent club owner. And yet there does seem to be an element here that he doesn't seem to realise that you know, parts of Fulham, you know, the, the Hammersmith end, the part of the end, it's a lot of traditional, if you, if, for want of a better word, Fulham fans, would, people who would be dismissed as legacy fans, people from working class backgrounds who simply can't afford these prices. But it seems to me that Fulham as a club have just probably worked themselves out that the, the, the demographic or the main demographic in and around Craven Cottage probably can afford these ticket prices on a, on a one-off basis and that it's close enough to Heathrow Airport to encourage tourists who are coming on a, on a one base. So, so they know they're going to fill that ground. They're just not necessarily going to fill it with Fulham supporters. And I find that rather disappointing. I think it's disappointing because you and I are both legacy football fans and we we see our football club and our, uh, our football environment as part of the history, the heritage, the legacy, everything that we hold so dear as fans. Um, modern owners... Um, and I'm not being xenophobic, especially American owners, see football as being an extension of the entertainment industry. And their argument has always been, well, you you pay more money to see the Foo Fighters than the Dead Kennedys. And therefore, we're going to replicate that in in terms of what we're going to charge um, as far as the tickets are concerned, because... It's just an, it's just another form of entertainment. And if you take a look at the culture of US franchise sports, that tends to be the culture of the fans there as well. Yeah, we 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 don't we we expect to be scalped because we've always been scalped. Whereas I think here in Europe, and, and yeah, we've always uh, given our huge admiration to German football fans and, and their militancy and organisation in protecting football fans as as a stakeholder in the game. That relationship doesn't exist between fans of US franchises and then the clubs and the owners. Um, and I think we, we, are, we, we will see this happen more and more. There's no doubt that the owners of, of certain clubs would be delighted if they can find excuses to reduce the number of season ticket sales and therefore increase the number of individual match ticket sales because... A, they can charge more and B, the fans who are likely to come for single matches on a season, they're more likely to go to the next door, they're more likely to buy a programme, they're more likely to spend money um, in the ground. And the owners will argue, yeah, look, we're in it for money, you're in it for the football, you know, let, us, let us make our money. Now, Kieran, I know you like a puzzle, so I want you to put these words in the correct order. Uh, £10 million, Mike Ashley, Amanda Staveley. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, there, there's still an ongoing uh, lack of love affair between Amanda Staveley and Mike Ashley. Um, but when she bought into I me, mean, she, she has her, her stake, which I think originally was 10%, but has now gone down a wee bit. Um, when she originally bought into Newcastle United, she, she, we, we often use this phrase, asset rich but cash poor which means that you you've got your money tied up in shares or you you've got your money tied up in um property and other assets and it's not necessarily available in the form of cash so mike ashley effectively lent amanda staveley the cash which allowed her to put in or to chip in for her proportion of the consortium that acquired newcastle united as a football club um, and then she fell out with him. I think he said as part of that deal, she wasn't allowed to say anything negative about him. And subsequently, uh, now I've, I've read some of the comments and I, I, yeah, 
compared to what the average Newcastle fan says about Mike Ashley, it was <laughs> you know it, it, it was it was Mary Poppins. It was very very mild, and it you know and you're struggling to actually see the rebuke, um, if any. Um, and he felt that uh, she was therefore in breach of contract uh, and wanted the money back. So she, she's now found that ten million pounds. So that's one more legal issue that Mike Ashley doesn't have in football, though where he is with regards to, to you know to Coventry City and the ownership of of their stadium and things like that, heaven only knows. He 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 can't just walk away. You know, he he had his time at Newcastle. He had all his litigation issues um, at uh, at Glasgow Rangers. Uh, he had he had a lot of bad blood towards what was happening at Derby because he felt he put in a legitimate offer, and for whatever reason that didn't materialise or that didn't finalise his taking over the club. And he just seems to be going around like Mister Grumpy, um, trying to pick a fight with anybody and any and everybody he can in relation to football. Yeah, as you know, Kieran, I'm very far from being an expert in these matters. But is it standard business practice for somebody to borrow someone to lend somebody that amount of money to help buy them out? No, no, it's it's highly unusual. But you know, there are a lot of unusual factors with regard to the PIF acquisition. Of Newcastle, such as you know, why didn't PIF just go and buy hundred percent of it? You know, why why use an intermediary such as Amanda Staveley, or if they were going to use her, you know, why not therefore just use her um, as uh, sort of the agent or the vehicle through which they could acquire the club? She didn't mean she had to go and buy any equity shares. She could still have a role as a, as an executive or a director of the club. So so yeah, there, there's there's always been a few bits of head scratching in relation to that particular deal. Um, and clearly she didn't have the resources at the time and, and had to go via uh, Mike Ashley, um, who, who I, you know, if, if you asked uh, if you asked 100 football fans, if, you know, uh, who would you like to borrow money for to invest in football? I, I think he would probably score a pointless if we, uh, if, if again, we were sort of in, in Richard Osman land. <laughs> um this is a sentence I don't often get to use, Kieran, but uh, Shakhtar Donetsk have beef with Leicester. Yes, yes, they do. Um, they had a player called Tete, and uh, Tete, uh, when the Ukrainian invasion took place, uh, FIFA brought in specific rules to allow players to walk away from their contracts. Now, now, what happened here was uh, he he ended up at Lyon. Lyon effectively didn't have to pay a transfer fee, but then Lyon sent him on loan to Leicester. So therefore, Lyon were getting money from Leicester in respect of a player who they effectively acquired for nothing because the Ukrainian league couldn't couldn't take place. So so they're a bit miffed and they're saying, you know, surely we should be getting the loan fee that uh, that Leon have trousered in relation to this particular deal. But I think it just shows the degree of complexity which can take place uh, a when we're dealing with with much broader and much more important issues than football, but then you add a layer of veneer and complexity to football that football brings in as well. So you can absolutely understand why Shakhtar Donetsk are, are, are peeved at what's happened. Uh, I think Leicester are the innocent party in all of this. You know, they, they were given the opportunity to, to take a player on loan and, and they did so in good faith. Uh, whether whether Leon should be pocketing that fee, I think will prove to be uh, one for our silver-tongued friends to get involved with in FIFA. And of course, the answer to this is it depends uh, whether uh, Shakhtar Donetsk will get paid or not. <laughs> Kieran, you know I'm not a massive fan of acronyms. Um, so I'm going to spell this out. The Department for Culture, Media and Sport, DCMS, have released a report about the risks that non-fungible tokens, NFTs, pose to sport with contributions from uh, KM, Kieran Maguire. Yes. Um, about six months ago, um, I was asked to attend a 
parliamentary hearing and to to testify before MPs with regards to the role of NFTs and and fan tokens in specifically in football. Um, and, and I did that uh, along with Joey Durso from The Athletic. Joey is, again, really good investigative journalist. Um, I, I think it's fair to say that following feedback from my appearance on Parliament TV and people, so I, th- I think the general consensus was that I misread the room in terms of my attire. In the, in the sense that I turned up in my traditional Fred Perry, um, everybody else in a suit. But for me, you can't beat a Fred. As you know, I'm, as you can tell, I'm wearing one at present. I'm always wearing Fred Perry. Um, but we we were we were asked questions by members of Parliament, and both Joey and I gave what we considered to be the appropriate answers. Now, uh, there are parties uh, from some of the crypto companies, including Socios and so rare, they were both invited to give oral evidence to the committee as well. And for whatever reason, they chose not to do so. Um, the DCMS report was uh, published uh, overnight on, on Wednesday night. And I think it's fair to say that there was a degree of concern and scepticism with regards to, um, A, the volatility of prices of, uh, of of NFTs, and B, um, just how much benefit you're getting from fan tokens. So that, that was our position. And I think it's fair to say that Socios didn't like the report, um, they clearly didn't also bother to look at the uh, information that was put out live on Parliament TV. They had the opportunity to do that. Um, and they've put out a, a very strongly worded um, statement uh, where they, well, I think it's fair to say they're piling in to both Joey Durso and myself. They said uh, they've attempted to engage with us. But they've done things such as you know offer offer me the opportunity to to come to watch a match, um in and I think I think they offered me they offered me the chance to go and, to go and watch it uh, at the Emirates on the same day that Brighton were playing and I'm going well clearly you don't understand football you know I, it's all very well saying you offer me a hospitality box but I I'll. I'll quite happily go to a football match in a black plastic bag if it means I can watch my team. And and any fan of any team will do this. So there's some really sort of sniffy and snotty comments made. Um, And and I just find that a bit bit strange because they're they're extolling the virtues of their product. But at the same time, if you go to the Socios website, the first thing that you read is... Crypto assets offered by Socios.com are neither sold or intended to be held as investments. If you intend to purchase them, you should be aware due to the potential of losses, you could see a high risk of losing all of your money. So, you know, that's quite damning for something which they are claiming is a fun product. Well, you know, I, I, if, I, if I go somewhere for fun... If I go to Disneyland or if I go to the theatre and it says, oh, by the way, there's a high chance of you losing all of your money you're investing in this, I, I'm not convinced that this is the the fun product that is being offered to it. So uh, it's fair to say that uh, both myself and Joey were disappointed with their disappointment in us. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's a free country. They're perfectly entitled to do so. But what I'd like to do in the spirit of being kind and liking Olive Branch, um, we will extend uh, the opportunity for Socios to come onto uh, the price of football and they can discuss uh, their products and they can discuss why they're based in Malta. Yeah, that, that place which appears to attract quite a few gambling companies and there's low taxes and so on. Uh, you know, explain, explain us to that exactly what are the benefits um, and is there more to their product than simply just trying to make a few extra bucks for clubs? Okay, our penultimate story, Kieran, is um, the conclusion of one that's been rumbling on uh, for a while. Uh, Mary Earps, uh, everybody's favourite sweary goalkeeper, 
um, was <laughs> cross and very sweary because Nike were refusing to sell her shirts, um, but they're probably glad that they have now done so. Well, well, yes. I mean, Nike put a limited number of ERPS one uh, goalkeeper shirts in, in girls' sizes up for sale, and we don't know what that limited number was, but they've all sold out. They've flown off the shelves, um, and part, part of me think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, well done, Mary Earps, for, for standing up for what she believed in. I know she wants to engage with fans and so on. And then the other part of me is just sort of the aren't human beings horrible? Because what we have seen is Nike put these up um, at the at the appropriate prices. And some people have said, oh, I know what I'm going to do. I'm, I've managed to get hold of one. So I'm going to stick it up on eBay for 200 quid and try to make a quick buck on the back of it, which is sort of a sad indictment of where we are as a society today. But it's it's great that there's so many young girls who, who want to, A, have a Mary Earp shirt, B, have an England shirt, and C, you know, to be fair to Nike, They've been given the opportunity to do so. So there are a couple of positives. And for those people that are trying to scalp for a couple of hundred quid, I hope you don't manage to send them. I hope the parents of those girls turn around and say, get stuffed. We're not prepared to be ripped off by scumbags like you. Kieran, they're they're going for £99, 95p. I mean, they're doing that terrible thing in the marketing, saying, well, we can't charge 100 quid. That's way too much. But £99, 95p, at least there's some sort of parity between the men and women's game, I suppose, because we're all getting ripped off, aren't we, at that price? Well, indeed we are. And uh, I I did speak to our very good friend, the secret kit manufacturer, and uh, they said to me, yeah, we can still knock them out for 12 quid a a pop. Uh, so somebody along the line, and I'm not talking just about the the scalpers here. Um, somebody's making an awful lot of money out of this, so uh, it's it's not a not a it's not altruism. It's not generosity from Nike. Um, you know they're making a few quid out of it as well. But uh, football's about dreaming, and for those girls that want to dream of being the next Mary Earps, you can understand why they want those shirts. I I don't know what it is, Kieran, about Welsh football and celebrities, but there's clearly something in the water uh, in the in the principality because there's a, a biggie this week, a biggie this week. Well, yeah, I, I think actually biggie isn't quite the right wrapping word to use because we're not talking biggie smalls, of course. We're talking 50 Cent. And what 50 Cent has done, he's uh, decided that he and his... Uh, I think I think the phrase this is coming from a remember a sixty year old accountant. He and his homeboys um, are uh, sponsoring a under fourteens girls team in Wales called AFC Rumsey. They're they're sponsoring the the tracksuits. They've funded uh, the away shirts. So we're not talking about the the same degree of funding that we've seen at Wrexham, but. It's, it's a very kind gesture, and, and it's come about because um, there was somebody that was working for him who, who is connected to this team, AFC Rumsey, and uh, it was one of the one of the dads of, uh, of the girls' team, and he just went up to 50 Cent, and, you know, it, we, we all do cheeky things here and there. He says, hey, 50, you, you've seen Welcome to Wrexham. Fancy sponsoring my girls' team? And... To be fair to the the 40-year-old, 48-year-old rapper, he said, yep, all good, I'll go for that. And uh, I I don't think he's been to see them play, but uh, I I think they're going to show it. They're going to send him a a, a thank you video and a bit of luck. He'll he'll, he'll sing back a few words to them um, with no no sweary bits in, of course. Um, So, yeah, it's a lovely bit. It's it's a lovely story. It's a little bit of romance. it does show if you're nice and you're cheeky and you ask for something, um, then uh, we'll we'll say that that's okay. Uh, thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you. And you can get access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. And you can do all that by going to patreon.com slash price of football. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at price of football 
Com. Our next two live Price of Football shows are coming up very soon. We'll be at the Lowry Theatre in Salford on October the 22nd and the Royal Yacht on Jersey on November the 7th. To get your tickets, you can go to the venue websites or to priceoffootball.com. And of course, if you bring along a book, we will happily sign it for you. And I'll probably even buy you a pint. Um, just bring along a book. We quite like that. We'll be back with the, uh, our usual questions pod on Monday. In the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you to everybody. And thanks for all the kind messages, as Kevin said at the start of the show, in relation to uh, those of you who've got early copies of the book. Uh, we do feel slightly like nervous, expectant fathers because we don't know whether people are going to like it or not. You know, we we just love writing it and, and we hope you've got as much enjoyment as we did uh, or you'll get as much enjoyment as we did. Um, there's various ways that you can support the show. Um, and one of those ways, uh, as well as Patreon, of course, is to go on to your uh, app that you use to download a show and to give us a review. Doesn't matter what you say. As long as you give us a review, according to producer Guy, you could even say you would rather have the show presented by 50 Cent and somebody who I think would have been a fantastic rapper, the former actor Arthur Mullard. And I think put those two together and the music would just flow. Uh, <laughs> two legendary hard men. Arthur Mullard starred in a 1966 sitcom called Yus My Dear in which he played a uh, henpecked Cockney husband who basically all his dialogue consisted of him going, yes, my dear, and he struggled with that. Um, <laughs> if if you don't know Arthur Mullard, you may know Arthur Mullard. He was in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. He's the one who had his, uh, his flowing locks accidentally cut off by uh, Dick Van Dyke um, in that, uh, I think, underrated film. Uh, but Arthur Mullard was definitely not an underrated actor. Bye, everybody. Buy our book. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the